out of all these, I think dragon's the best. And I'd rather like score a goal or run up a mountain than like have to like stab someone in the neck. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to be read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. What is Keep It Fictional Book Chat but a weekly competition to see how many books each of us can convince you, our listeners, to read? To see how many of each of our books Fiona puts on her Goodreads to be read list? <laughs> whether we made it this week or not, and how many Keep It Fictional bingo categories can we hit each episode? Do we talk about BTS today? Are we going to talk about cannibals today? Are we going to talk about video games? Are we going to talk about old people? <laughs> we need to make this bingo about one day. Anyway, well, I don't think I am a particularly competitive person, but... I know some people on this podcast and definitely are. So we thought today we will talk about books that have a competition, a contest, or a race, anything that we can be a contestant for. And what I would like my book friends to do is that um, at the end of the episode, I'm going to ask you to tell me which contest out of all the books, all the ones that we have talked about in a book, that you would join in. So we are going to start with Gabriel. So what kind of contest are you going to invite us to? Well, not a contest I think anybody is going to want to join later. I can tell you that much. So some competitions are more horrific than others. And the competition in my book, I think, is just grounded in reality enough to sound like something a freaky elite school might actually try. So this is a young adult horror novel, and the central competition is between the members of a particular club, a club that is very hard to get into, a secret society, if you will. And no, this isn't a dark academia novel, although honestly, it has a lot of the elements that would belong in one. It's, it's getting close. You can see why I chose it. So this club is centered around one thing a love of horror movies. And this book absolutely knows its tropes. You can tell the author is also a big horror movie fan. It knows its history. It loves to play with both of them. So what do you do other than watch and discuss horror movies? Well, you pull pranks. And the Mary Shelley Club has an ongoing competition amongst themselves about who can pull the worst, most horrific, most trauma-inducing prank on the rest of the student body. Almost nothing is off limits, and Rachel Chavez notices the club pulling off one of the pranks as it's happening. Shortly after, she receives an invite and she's sucked into their world. So this club is something you have to be invited into, and it's also not something that you can leave easily. Each member of the club has to tell the others their deepest fear, you know, Makes sense, a little bit of initiation, kind of an important thing. And it's insurance, right? You don't want to report the kids to the authorities when they know what makes you scared to sleep at night. And they aren't afraid to make that come true. 
So this creates like an inescapable bond between these teens that definitely drives home, again, the secret society vibe and only comes out in certain moments when it's going to heighten the various pranks, especially when the stakes get higher and the bodies start dropping. Rachel's worst fear, the main character, is actually slowly revealed over the course of the book. Basically, it has to do with a like a very traumatic home invasion that happened when she was home alone. So this book is definitely, it's on the darker side of young adult. It's still very much a young adult horror, though. I will say it's actually, if you're very easily affected by it, this actually might be a better one for you. But it is definitely for, if you were a teen reading this, it is definitely on the darker side. So Rachel struggles to cope with what happened to her. And so she kind of turned to the horror genre as a solace. And she becomes the scholarship kid again, another dark academia trope, at Manchester Prep. And so she ends up fitting that classic fish out of water that you'd expect for young adult, maybe for better or for worse, because she just isn't like the other teens, which can be can be a little bit much, if I'm being honest. <laughs> but in this case, yeah, most teens don't try to do this to each other, I hope. Or if they do, they were living a very different life than I was. So. Trying to fit in to a group like this and and sort of feeling the social pressures to conform is a little bit more sinister (laughs) when you consider the kids that she's trying to fit in with. So it's sort of an interesting take on it. This is The Mary Shelley Club by Goldie Moldavsky. And Moldavsky is the young adult author that wrote Kill the Boy Band. And most recently, she wrote Lord of the Fly Fest. And... This, yeah, Lord of the Fly Fest, and it's about influencers stuck on an island. (laughs) And I didn't read more than that because I was already laughing. (laughs) But it sounds really interesting. So if you want to hear more from Goldie uh, Moldavsky, she she does have that that came out recently. But yeah, this book is called The Mary Shelley Club Here in Canada. And it's called The Last Girl in the UK, obviously referring to sort of like the last girl horror stereotype. And it seems like for some reason, a lot of her works have different titles in the UK. So if you are someone who is very active in the blogosphere, is that a word? Um, In the internet community of people who talk about books, you might be talking about the same book as someone else without realizing it, just because it seems like a lot of her works for some reason have a different name over there. So it's a very atmospheric thriller with a body count, which can sometimes be rare for young adult books as i mentioned it's not a super creepy novel so if you're like an adult scaredy cat this would be a good one or if you are an edgy teen this would be a good one so it's sort of that little in between space where it's not quite horror enough for like the extreme horror other than the fact that like it's got it's got some very fun elements or you would approach it as like a fun time um if you could approach this as a fun time i suppose but Especially for maybe the more scaredy cat adult, you have to be willing to work with the sort of unlikable young adult characters and drama that you're going to get from a novel like this, especially one that skirts the outside of dark academia. These are privileged kids in an elitist school and they act like it. Yeah, even Rachel might not be your type of character as she has her own problems. And it's one that's... uh, very atmospheric and tense. I would actually say that's kind of the best part 
the pranks are the most fun. Like they're the they're the most well written. And there's a lot of suspense that kind of surrounds these moments. She does this interesting narrative thing where um, she switches the point of view kind of mid-prank. It isn't as disorienting as it sounds, but it kind of makes sure that you as a reader are, like, you're kept out of the loop and you're on edge so you can see certain elements being put into place and then experiencing them without having that full kind of picture of what's going on. Almost like the camera might cut if you were watching a movie and it was sort of moving around from different angles and things. The overarching mystery in this one is not super hard to predict <laughs> but honestly I don't I don't think that took away from the book especially if you're looking for something atmospheric uh, which is really what I would recommend this one for uh, honestly you will probably be able to guess the big mystery <laughs> about who is messing with the club very very early on but that is okay sometimes you're not really looking for something like entirely original when it comes to stuff like this like it's maybe a little bit more of a feel good one you're not really going to get too attached to any of the characters and in some ways it's like a like a true horror movie where you don't mind watching them get thrown around a little bit right so i think it's kind of it works with it because sometimes that's the case in a in a horror movie you're like if you like them too much you're going to be a little too worried and then if something bad happens you can't rejoice a little bit which is maybe a little screwed up but it's a horror movie. <laughs> That's what you're there for. So it's definitely good for anyone who is a fan of like the Scream movies, especially that kind of love letter to the genre, but also has like an element of humor in it. And in some ways is more uh, atmospheric than it is scary. Maybe it's just because I only ever watched it as an adult, but I never found the Scream movies particularly scary. And so for fans of that, or even uh, Cabin in the Woods would be maybe a more recent one. Same idea. Or even if you like video games like Until Dawn or The Quarry, which were made by the same company. That sort of narrative style that really leans into a love of, of tropes. So that is The Mary Shelley Club by Goldie Moldavsky. And it is not a dark academia book. But it is very close. So if any of you wants to join this competition, we're going to have a talk afterwards about what your priorities are. But I guess it also depends on what our other choices are. So thank you, Gabriel. Um, that's a very that sounds like a very interesting book. I love books that are written by people who who like who know the genre really well and they want you like just bring that and, and bring all the tropes in. Like that sounds great. So Thank you for that. I am going to go to Mark and see what kind of contest he has for us. So the book that I will be talking about is The Blaze Wrath Games by Amparo Ortiz. Ortiz was author originally born in Puerto Rico, currently living in the United States. She's been published in a few different anthologies of comics, including Marvel's Voices, Comunidades, Latinx Hero Anthology, and the Puerto Rico Strong Comics Anthology. In those, she was primarily a writer, so she's more on like the writing side of the kind of like comics kind of genre. She's also a co-editor on Our Shadows Have Claws, an upcoming YA horror anthology. 
And the Blaze Wrath Games is the first book in a duology of books. So there is a sequel to this book that is already released because this book is a couple years old now. And I believe the sequel came out late last year-ish. So you can pick that one up if you enjoyed this one. So in this book, there's essentially an alternate version of the modern world in which both dragons and magic exist have existed in secret up until their discovery by non-magic users known as regulars in the late 18th century. Both dragons and magic users share a close relationship with each other because magic users are the only ones who can handle dragons by forming a special magical bond with them. And sort of like the more powerful the dragon, the bigger the powerful the dragon, the higher your magic level needs to be and things like that. Because in this universe, there's like different levels of magic users there's like copper wand silver wand gold wand etc to sort of like signify the rank and proficiency of different magic users and over centuries these magic users and dragons have become more integrated into the wider society which has led to new forms of commerce politics cultural products but most importantly it's also given rise to the wildly popular sport of blaze wrath in blaze wrath teams of Dragon riding magic users and solo humans called runners attempt to accomplish a pair of tasks before the other team in order to win. In the first part of the game, the dragon riding strikers try to score a goal past the opposing team's keeper as the defenders try to obstruct and block the way of the strikers before they can score the rock flame, which is basically a giant ball that the dragons have to kick and push and use their like talons and whatnot to force its way into the goal as the keeper tries to keep them from scoring. Once the strikers have scored, the team's runner can begin to ascend an artificially generated mountain, which is kind of like a giant spirally kind of mountain thing. And they have to carry the iron scale, which is a type of dragon scale that they have to deliver to the top of the mountain. But at various points on the mountain, the defenders can have their dragons land and they try to obstruct the runner and dismount and sort of use different martial arts and like judo throws to keep them from ascending the mountain. And if they're able to steal the iron scale from them, they can toss it back down to the bottom of the mountain and the runner has to start all over again. So over the years, this sport has become more and more popular and currently has a kind of level of excitement and importance around it that's sort of akin to the FIFA World Cup. As the story begins, there's preparations for the upcoming Blaze Wrath Games, which is essentially, like I said, kind of like the World Cup. Those teams are currently doing their recruits and tryouts for members on the teams. And our main character, Lana Torres, is intent on being selected as the Puerto Rican Blaze Wrath team runner in the upcoming selection camp. And Lana, having been born in Puerto Rico to a Latino father and white mother, but ever since their divorce has had to live in America with her mother, despite more closely associating with her father and his heritage than her mother's. This is not only because she is darker skinned like her father, but in general, she has had a closer relationship with him and his family. And he is also a dragon researcher, which he very much enjoys being interested in Blaze Wrath. She, of course, wants to know more about dragons. Whereas her mother is very anti-dragon as against her wishes to be a Blaze Wrath athlete. She finds it dangerous and unbefitting of her daughter. The world of Blaze Wrath has also been in a bit of upheaval as of late. After the assassination of the dragon belonging to the top Blaze Wrath player in the world, Takeshi Endo. The killing is believed to have been worked of the Sire, the leader of an anti-Blazerath group called the Dragon Knights. The Dragon Knights advocate for the release of all dragons from human control, 
and are willing to use their own magic and physical violence to forcibly make this a reality. Acts of aggression and violence have led to fears that the Blazerath games themselves may be forced to postpone or cancel due to the risk posed to having harm coming to the players or their dragons, or possibly even fans and other people in the stands or, or nearby at the time if something were to happen during the games. After a chance encounter with a dragon in the basement of a magic shop, which is there for reasons that only become more clear later on, that also leaves Lana's snotty white cousin in the hospital, uh, Lana discovers the identity of one of the dragon knights is none other than Takeshi Endo himself. In a stunning twist of reversal that the famous Blazerath player has joined up with the dragon knights to try to end Blazerath itself. From here, Lana is recruited by the International Blazerath Federation President Russell Turner and Team Puerto Rico to compete as the runner on their team for reasons that don't quite make sense right away. Why would they want to recruit her just because she witnessed this one incident? And this sort of like sticks in Lana's mind for quite a while as we sort of learn later on what are the kind of machinations and political calculations going on in the background of this giant organization. And essentially, Lana also has to face the challenges of being placed on an international level team as she tries to overcome the challenges of competing at the highest level when she previously has a sort of image in her mind of what this would be like. It's actually much more grueling and tasking than she imagined as she is forced to keep up with like the workouts and training and whatnot that goes into this kind of international level team. Those types of things can be quite quite overwhelming for her at times because she's sort of thrown into this new situation that she's not quite sure how to handle totally. And there's also certain sort of cultural, political aspects of the team, as Lana is someone who's known as living off-island in the U.S. and is primarily an English speaker, though she does know Spanish. She's sort of seen as something of an outsider by some of her teammates and sort of disconnected from Puerto Rican society and culture. So there's also these kind of like internal dynamics within the team of the different personalities and different beliefs and things like that, which also sort of play a role in things. So these aspects can be overwhelming and serious for Lana, but we also get to see glimpses of a, like a less serious side of her, particularly when she's with her best friend Samira from their Sailor Moon pajama party sleepovers to uh, one-on-ones over the phone. We sort of get these lighter touches to see like another side of Lana and sort of keep the tone from being too heavy or too overwhelming, which I think makes it kind of like a nice balance between the two as we sort of see her develop and grow. Can also sort of get a complicated sense of world building in this because you can definitely tell that there's like a desire to make this into more than just one book from the very beginning. Even if you didn't know there was a sequel, you can kind of get a feeling that there's going to be more to it from all the world building. The vast terminology of magic, spells, dragons, and mundane to fantastical things in dragons and sports that's developed in the book that it almost had like a vaguely Harry Potter kind of feeling to it. I know that's kind of like an overused comparison, but just the fact that they have like these like these terms of charms and like the ways that they different characters interact with each other kind of reminded me of some of that aspect of Harry Potter and all these other kind of YA series. So if you like a vast and intriguing world of dragons and magic, if you think the idea of a dragon-based sport is just really cool, or that you want to see a bunch of teenagers in a kind of like a semi-realistic fantasy world, I don't want to say it's magical realist, but it's kind of like fantasy realist, maybe, uh, you call it that maybe, then you may also like the Blaze Wrath games. Thank you, Mark. I see a lot of head nodding as you're describing the game. So I feel like this is really, like you said, right up everybody's alley. People want to compete in this, I can tell. 
I feel like I might have the only adult book for today's Amazon, which is very weird. I think everybody has a teen book, um, which I mean, it makes sense. Like, there's a lot of competitions in the books, it feels like. So maybe I'll talk about mine. But even mine is kind of like teen adjacent, I'm going to say. How would you like to spend a week playing hide and seek at an amusement park for a chance to win $50,000? And the rules are, you stay in the park for the whole week. Each day before the sun rises, you have 30 minutes to find a great hiding spot. And then you stay hidden and not be found from dawn till dusk. And then when the sun sets, you're allowed to come out again, go back to camp, take a shower, get some food, rest, sleep, and start again tomorrow. This is the contest that Mac has been invited to participate in. And Mac thought, yeah, $50,000, I could really use that money. And she's good at hiding. She knows that. In fact, you can say she spends her whole life hiding. So she thought, yeah, I'm going to do this. And she tries not to think about how they found her and how this letter managed to get to the homeless shelter that she was staying in. She tries not to think about how the last time when she went into hiding, something awful, awful happens. She tried to push that all out of her mind and just try to focus on this competition that is going to get her $50,000. So one morning, she got picked up by a car and then she got dropped off sort of on the side of a highway back into like this forest. And she was standing there alone and she was told just to wait. And no one was there. And she's like, uh, what is this? Has the competition begin? Should I go in the forest? Like, what should I do? And then while she was debating that, another car came by, dropped off three people, two women, both of them named Ava, and then a boy. Well, it's not really a boy, but he looks like a boy and he so seems to be terrified of everything. And he was staying as far as away as he can from the three other people. As the day goes on, more and more cars came by, more and more people get dropped off. And soon, Mac is standing alongside 13 other people, presumably all contestants for this competition. Mac is only there to win. She's not there to make friends. She doesn't want to get involved with anybody. And so she's just standing aside, just kind of like observing everybody and just trying to size up her competition, see what's going on. And as the day goes on, people are starting to get, to get irritated, they get angry, people are starting to get hungry because not everybody packed food. And they were just waiting and waiting. And finally, just when it was getting dark, a bus pulled up and out come this lady who introduced herself as Linda. And she's way too cheery for all of these really, really tired, irritated people. And she's like, welcome to the competition. I'm so glad you're here. Sorry about this mix up of time. But yes, come on, come on, get on the bus. You know, we're going to take you to the location of the competition. Now, at this point, I'm sure all of us, if you're reading this book, you're like, okay, do not get on the bus. <laughs> Bad idea. But because the book has to happen, so they all just get on the bus and you're just like, ah. So everybody was on there. Drinks are being passed out because they were so tired. They spent this exhausting day waiting for nothing. Everybody fell asleep really quickly. And when they got all got up again, it was morning. 
And they were taken to this diner and they're like, okay, breakfast is on us today. Before you go into the location, eat as much as you like. And then afterwards, we're going to take you to a spa and you're going to get pampered. We're going to do all that for you all for free. And Mac is like, oh, not again. Like she's eager to get started. She's not interested in any of this. But, you know, there is everybody just like trying to enjoy themselves. Finally, they all get packed up on the bus and then the bus starts driving, start taking them farther and farther into this like woody kind of area. And they're all like, where are we? And nobody could figure out because they kind of all fell asleep that night. They don't even know where they were anymore. So they're all trying to figure out and there was like just nothing for miles and miles. And finally, they spotted it. Everybody starts standing up and looking through the window. And there it is, an amusement park. And Linda said, well, welcome to the location of your competition. Welcome to Amazement Park. And that is the name of the location that they are going to spend the next seven days. This is Hyde by Kirsten White. And if you read young adult novels, you might know Kirsten White from some of her other series, such as Anne I Darken or the Camelot Rising series that she does a retelling of the King Arthur story. And this is her first adult novel. And according to the readers who have read her other books, which I haven't, this is quite a lot darker and a lot grimmer than they expected. But I would say definitely it reads kind of like a YA and I would say it definitely has that crossover appeal. Hyde is also one of those books that belong to kind of a more newer wave of horror and thriller books and also movies that tackle the social issues and uses that systemic horrors as the basis and as the monster of the book, so to speak. And this one tackles the people who have all the stuff and people who don't have anything and how the system continues to make sure that the people who have have more and more and the people who don't have anything keep them down. That is kind of what this book tackles. I would say Hyde is also a book for any readers who like reading books that read like a movie because I can totally see this as a movie. You can see that ensemble cast already, a little bit like what Gabriel was talking about earlier that, you know, <laughs> you may not get too attached to any of them. You know what's going to happen to them. Bad things is going to happen to them. Um, and But you can see that. And and even the structure of the, the book is very much like it lends itself to a movie. After this prologue that I just told you about, each of the chapter is titled after the number of what day it is for the contest. And so you can see as the week goes on, more and more get revealed. Like, what is this contest? They know that they are supposed to do the hiding. But who is seeking who is looking for you and and so you get some of that and i think what kind of stops me every now and then in the book is the way it changes point of view gabriel talked about how in their book like it does it really really well i feel like this one is kind of a little jarring in my mind because when you first started off you're so focused on mac that suddenly like throughout the the week you get to see these other folks and what they are thinking and what they are seeing and that's a little weird but then again when I start thinking about well do you think of this as a movie that it kind of makes sense you got this like kind of third person omniscient kind of point of view thing going so it, it makes sense I guess as a movie maybe more so as a movie and of course the setting of an amusement park is just perfect for this like I, I love amusement parks like you know and I'm very lucky that I don't get sick on any ride so I can go on any weird spinning thing I would go on all of them and this is not a functional 
amusement park. This is actually a, the amazement park has actually been closed down for quite a few years. So if you picture the setting of this, like really like over the top, like used to be at least very colorful, kind of like you got murals, you got colors everywhere, but now it's just this like, like rotten and everything is just kind of like uh, the, the paint is chipped and this decrepit like rundown place. And like everything is, it, it just loses color and it just, as to that's really like kind of sinister feeling, you know, for the whole book. And of course, like clowns are always creepy, but in this book, there is this like terrifying like clown face entrance that you go through and like, you know, think of the the, the jolly clown face, you know, with all the colors. And now this is this like faded colored clown face, even more creepy. It's just setting perfect, I think, for this. So great for fall, a good thriller for that. I mean, even just look at that cover. It's like so fall color <laughs> So I think, perfect. If you're looking for something just for the fall, if you want to join into on a game of hide and seek, I would suggest you to pick up Hide by Kirsten White. All right. Before we go on to the other two books, just a question for my book friends. Since we're talking about competition here, I would love to know, have you ever answered like a contest, a competition and a race? And what kind of is it? And how did you do? I'll talk about mine. Way back, apparently, I have answered, and this is my connection to Canada before I came here, for Expo 86. Apparently, I won some drawing contest. And so my postcard was sent to Expo 86 and it was picked up by somebody who lives in Toronto. So for quite a few years, we were pen pals. And so that's how I learned a little bit about Canada before I came here. So um, yes, back in the golden days when you write postcards and letters <laughs> and you mail them to people. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of like my contest story, I guess. So um, what other kind of contests have you been in? All right. Um, well, as a child and as an adult, I suffer from horrible social anxiety. And so the best thing for a child who has the debilitating inability to speak in front of people was poetry recital competitions. Oh, I am not joking. You had to memorize like a poem of a certain length and then go up in front of an audience and be judged by professional judges as to your accuracy of recital, your like diction, as well as your ability to convey the feeling of the poem. So that is the competition. And it was competition that I was assigned to do as a child. And I seem to remember I did pretty good. I, I won one year and then I was like, can I stop this? <laughs> and I was able to do so. Does that explain your feelings towards poetry, Corinne? It honestly might. I've never examined that before. <laughs> but um, yeah, I do have some very deep-rooted experiences with poetry. I will psychoanalyze you after this episode. Okay. Um, I played all the sports. If you can think of a sport, I played it when I was a kid, except for ice hockey and ringette. But competition I want to talk about was actually a scavenger hunt, a family scavenger hunt put on by a business commission in Halifax. And it was over the Easter weekend. So I don't know how old I was, like like maybe nine. Uh, and I went with my baby brother, my older brother and my mom. And we were like, we are going to win this thing. Uh, and we looked all day. You, be, you go to all the businesses that are part of the business commission and look for 
the prize. And as things were wrapping up, nobody had found it. And somebody kind of gave us like a nudge, like, oh, you know, this is actually also part of the business commission. And we went and we found the the prize. I, I like I can't remember if we found the basket or we find the basket of the prize and then they give us the basket. But we won this amazing gift basket filled with all of these prizes, including like a free limo ride and a gift card to a restaurant. And like, you know, at that point in time, I'd only ever been to like chain restaurants with my family. So we like, we got to go to this restaurant and order whatever we wanted and milkshakes and like three desserts. And it was just like, I don't know, it was, it was an awesome childhood memory. Back when I was younger, I used to try to play video games competitively at times locally with people that I know, and then just sort of like semi-serious, like local tournament type things. I was never very any good, like, to be honest. This is like before there was like actual money involved in like trying to become like an esports player or anything like that. It was just like for fun, pretty much for the most part, but also trying to take it like semi-seriously to the point where that that's like your main endeavor during your free time is to get better at playing the game, playing video games. So that this was like 12, 13 years ago, so or something like that. But I still play video games at one up, but very much not in the kind of serious way that I used to try and take it. I was not a sports child, and I've only ever done sports as an adult. And so, and in general, really tried not to not to enter competitions, I think, ever. So I actually can't think of a single competition that I've really entered or anything that I would have entered seriously. However, Virginia knows intimately that on, I think, the last Saturday or the second last Saturday of every month is Minecraft Championship. I will stand up and walk away from my computer just to get some air if something's going wrong. Because I take it very seriously. I can kind of like play in the background because I don't need to quite pay attention to what's going on. And uh, yeah, so I don't I do not do anything, but I do watch Minecraft Championship religiously. Excellent. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing all that. And of course, if you want to participate in the joy that Fiona has, there's a scavenger hunt every week at the library. You can come and I don't know if we give out free... No, apparently no free, no free meal, but <laughs> fabulous prize nonetheless. We not only have a scavenger hunt, we also have a Minecraft club that you can come to the library and learn how to. Well, probably not if you're listening to this podcast, but if you have a child who wants to play Minecraft, we do play Minecraft at the library. <laughs> there you go. Some shameless plug of the library programs. All right. Um, why don't we go to Miss Corrine? competition, Miss Corrine. Yes. And this is a proper competition that weirdly enough has a lot in common with Mark's book, which I didn't see coming <laughs> at all. So, you know, we often ask ourselves, what do you base a system of government on? Is it the will of the people? Is it some lady throwing a sword out of a lake? Or is it the will of, and I quote, the great dragon who at some point shouts a yell into the sky and then the other dragons hear it and then whoever hears that dragon's cry then comes to a competition where you have to succeed or die. Those are your options. There are many options available in which to base a system of government on. In the land of Etrusia, at best guess, which is kind of like a Greek Roman ancient worldy kind of land. 
the emperor is dead, long live the emperor. And so the five royal houses of this land all gather in their own little, like, special great dragon call chambers to wait to see which of their children will be participating in the call. The call is when a new emperor must be chosen, and so each of the royal families, one of their children is summoned to compete in a series of tasks or trials to see who will be the next emperor based on whether they kind of nail the trials or not, and who will get murdered along with their dragon. Because, hey, in this world, everyone's a dragon rider? Again, Mark, I didn't know that our books would have this much in common. Usually in these royal families, it's the oldest child that gets called. So they have been training from a young age to be able to do the the tasks. Every year the tasks are different, but they train to be like the strongest, the smartest, the most strategic. They are usually, again, the eldest. They're the ones that carry like the hope of all of the family on them. However, this year with the death of the emperor, something goes terribly wrong. And in each of the royal families, it is not the best, the brightest, the youngest, the hottest, the most abtacular of the siblings that is chosen, but kind of like the underdog. We have Amelia, who is hiding a dark magic in the way that, of course, this is a YA book, that someone has to be hiding a dark magic that threatens to kind of take down her entire family if they learn what this magic is, because your magic has got to come from your dragons. And, you know, their dragons are all special and different in their own way. And it's kind of like having a really, really friendly horse. Like, you're really bonded to this horse dragon but you also ride it around and have other people take care of it. Anyways, so there's Amelia, who's got her dark magic. There is Lucian, who is a pacifist warrior, <laughs> whose dad is not thrilled with his awakening social uh, development. There is Vesper. She is actually a dragon trainer. So she is the one who takes care of the dragons. And she is very much looked down by the rest of the royal family. There's Ajax, who is kind of the illegitimate son of a guy who's got a lot of sons. So he's good at stealing things and being a little bit underhanded. And then there is my favorite character. The best character that makes this book totally worth reading. And that's Hyperia. Hyperia, you're the best. Hyperia is the oldest daughter of a kind of, we'll go with the word Spartan-like family who very much believe in warlike behavior and are trained warriors. And she's got like a super slick deluxe dragon that's also kind of a killer. And the reason why this book got me and the reason why I chose this book is when the call goes out, so the great dragon kind of sends out this yell into the sky and then all the family gathers around and then whoever's one of their dragon hears the call and kind of like lifts their head to the sky and like screams back at the dragon like, oh, you're the one who has to go to this competition. When this happens, Hyperia is gathered with her family and her her sweet younger sister, her very sweet, very innocent younger sister that Hyperia loves with all of her heart. In as much as Hyperia is very uh, warlike and aggressive, her sister is sweet and docile and lovely. And they have this wonderful relationship until Hyperia's sister's dragon hears the call. And here's the deal. Hyperia needs to be the empress. She's been training all of her life for this. She is the one who should have 
heard the call. She is the one who deserves to be empress. Nay, should be empress. And so what's a girl to do? But straight up murder your sister in front of your entire family. <laughs> I, I love her so much. <laughs> that I was I I'm not a big YA fantasy reader, but this just kind of got me. Don't know why. Um, she is such a stone cold killer, and I loved it. So yeah, they go along these ridiculous tasks, kind of figuring out like, oh, what's the greater political machinations? Why did the call only go out to like the wimps of each family except for Iberia? And it's kind of like a how to train your dragon mixed with Game of Thrones, which was enough. For me, and funnily enough, with the new Game of Thrones series, this is the book called House of Dragons by Jessica Clewis, which honestly, this could be the poster for the House of Dragons TV series. The tagline is win at all costs. So if you are confused about which one you should probably attend to first, both of them are unfinished. This was supposed to be part of du uh, duology, but the second book has been pushed back indefinitely because the ending is quite great. Um, but if you're looking for a very fun YAA fantasy with a character who, who is just off the walls banana, then you could do no better than House of Dragons, not the TV series, the book by Jessica Clues. Thank you, Miss Corrine. Was not expecting that. First of all, not the dragons and then the Stone Cold Killer. I don't even remember why I picked up that book, but I was like, oh, fine. Yeah. Ragtag group of kids, underdog, underdog. Oh, <laughs> it is very strange that there's so much drag. I didn't expect this episode to have so much dragon in it. That is very odd. And I, I'm so disappointed. Maybe Fiona will save us because I was like, there got to be a cooking competition somewhere. But why isn't there any? Fiona, do you have a cooking contest for us? Unfortunately, I don't. But I have, surprise, surprise, chosen a very grounded competition. And I'm going to say some inflammatory things. I don't like competition books. I don't like, I think they're gimmicks. And I don't like gimmicks. <laughs> So I have um, actually chosen a, a book where the competition is like kind of like, you know, the, the draw on the on the description, but uh, it actually factors very little. And um, what better place for a competition than the stadium of capitalism? My book is The Henna Wars uh, by Adiba Jagadar. And it features a school business competition in which they must create an entrepreneurial venture and whoever is the most successful is going to get a scholarship. Our main character is Nishat and she is of Bengali descent and her family has moved to Ireland. So that was interesting because we have a diaspora story but not here in in North America but in Ireland so that was kind of kind of interesting and Nishat is a very principled uh young woman she's not very frivolous um, she's quite uh calculated she's she's kind and thoughtful but but very grounded person and her best friend is her sister who is sort of the fun one the one who attracts the attention the one who's really good at making friends and Nishat feels that she does not really have those skills Nishat 
Uh, and her family are at a Bengali wedding when someone catches her eye. The only person there who is not of Bengali descent is a young woman who she realizes she actually went to school with in, in elementary school. This is Flavia, a young woman of Irish and Brazilian descent who, you know, they they weren't great friends in elementary school, but they did often sit together because they both had this feeling of sort of being an outsider. So uh, they're both very excited to see each other, and they decide to take some pictures together, which ultimately makes Nishat's sister quite jealous and kind of sets her off on the wrong foot against Flavia. When Nishat goes back to her high school, there is a new girl. Guess who it is? It's Flavia. This is great. She's really excited to get to know Flavia, and she's realizing that she's developing some feelings uh, that she's never really quite felt before. So this is actually a sapphic romance. Why a sapphic romance? For me, what? And it has sort of the added dynamic of the fact that uh, Nishat comes from a Muslim family. And while she does come out to them, it's it's very fraught. And it's especially, the stakes are really high because in Bangladesh, it's actually illegal to be gay. Uh, and, and I believe it's punishable by torture and death. So, you know, it's not a, a positive aspect, um, but I did appreciate uh, that sort of bringing in that cultural awareness uh, to the book. Uh, and it does a great job of that. So that's sort of the, the the crux of this, is that for this competition, Nishat actually goes against what her friends want, and she decides that she is going to set up a henna booth. So henna is the beautiful South Asian art of temporary tattoos, and it's used for many occasions, but also used in weddings. So um, she's very excited to to bring this part of her culture to show people and share with them when she finds out that Flavia has also decided to do a henna booth because she saw it at the Bengali wedding. When she confronts Flavia and tells her that this is cultural appropriation, she she kind of brushes it off and says, yeah, you know, like, I'm just really appreciating this. And I know you're probably worried that, you know, I'm going to be competition, but we can both do this. The rest of the book is sort of the back and forth of this this complicated feelings that um, Nishat has for Flavia. So when she's very attracted to someone that she feels connected to when she doesn't often get that feeling from other people. And yet someone who she feels is is stealing from her culture and not respecting when she approaches her about that. Uh, we also have Fabia's white cousin, China, who has a history of bullying Nishat, and Flavia just can't see why Nishat thinks that China is is not a very good person. So this kind of love-hate tension, I felt like it was really warranted. It wasn't this, it wasn't so gimmicky. Um, and ultimately the book is a really interesting exploration of cultural appropriation. We get to see the way it's dealt with in interpersonal relationships and come to really care about the characters. And I think the ultimate conclusion is very well parsed out and can maybe give an understanding to to people who are struggling with the idea of cultural appropriation. I also just really liked the voice of Nishat as this sort of like, you know, clever, self-aware person who who maybe felt like she didn't always have the the social graces that she wanted to have and also her experience with coming out to her family and and their their disappointment but her 
commitment to herself and 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 being proud of herself as a as a lesbian Muslim woman. So that's Adiba Jagridar, uh, the Henna Wars, and I know that uh, she has written another YA since that I'm excited to read, and then has this great Titanic heist book coming out, or I think it's this year maybe, uh, which I am also very excited to read. So a soft competition for you, no dragons, just money. Thank you, Fiona, for that different interpretation of the theme for today. So now that we've heard five competitions, soft and hard and dragon filled, which one are you going to participate in? If you have to pick one. I'm going with Mark's dragon, specifically because I don't want to have to be like an emperor after. Not super fond of that idea. And it sounded the most like, like when you said Harry Potter, it's just like, yeah, I liked Quidditch. I liked Quidditch more than anything else in that series. And I took out the rule book quite a bit. So, you know what? I think I'll go get some dragons. Get some dragons, do that. If we choose Virginia's, is it like the book or is it just a hide and seek competition with $50,000 prize money? I will also probably go with mine just because I don't like dragons. I really don't like dragons, um, which is a weird thing because I read a lot of fantasy, but I do not like dragons. Um, so, yeah. So, no. I will also go play hide and seek, I think. Mark? I'm going with mine because I, out of all these, I think dragon's the best. And I'd rather, like, score a goal or run up a mountain than, like, have to, like, stab someone in the neck. I will be empress. I'm going for my competition. <laughs> I'll Hyperion my way through it. At all costs, people. At all costs. Mark and I are doing it for the love of the game. (laughs) We're good. (laughs) And that's why you're not going to (laughs) win. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. And sorry, Fiona. Didn't know you have feelings about competitions. But thank you for picking a book anyway for this. We will uh, see you again, all of you again next week for another episode of Keep It Fictional. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. (laughs) 